Welcome to the Liberty Baptist Sermon Archives. The message you're about to hear was preached at Liberty Baptist Church in Easton, Massachusetts. You can find out more about us or contact us at mylibertybaptist.org or just look us up on Facebook. And now we hope that this message from God's Word will be a blessing to you. Psalm 139, the four most uncomfortable words in the Bible, and we'll talk about what those are in just a few moments and what they have to do with you. But first, an illustration. I will start by saying this is a quite unbiblical illustration, but I think one that will help us a little bit here tonight. A young man was walking along one of Southern California's sandy beaches with a surfboard he suddenly spotted this bottle, which had recently washed up on the beach. It's obvious it had been tossed around for a long time. He picked up the bottle and noticed that it still had the cork intact. So being curious as to what may be inside, he managed to get the cork out, and out pops a genie. I said this is unbiblical, right? I set the foundation for that before we started, but follow me for a second. After expressing profound appreciation for having been let out of the bottle, the genie grants his benefactor the classic one wish, and it will be yours. Being an avid surfer, it doesn't take the man long to say this. I've always wanted to surf to Hawaii, but I get seasick on ships and I'm afraid to fly. Would you build me a bridge to Hawaii? Well, the genie replied, do you know what you're asking for? You know how long the bridge would have to be? Think of the enormous challenges for that kind of undertaking, the supports required to reach the bottom of the Pacific, the concrete and steel it would take, It'll nearly exhaust several natural resources and the maintenance of that bridge? No, no, think of another wish. And the man said, okay, and he tried to think of a really good wish, and so finally he said this. He said, I've never been married. Every girlfriend I've ever had has said that I don't care and that I'm insensitive. So I wish that I could understand women, how to, to know how they feel inside and what they're thinking when they give me the silent treatment, to know why they're crying and to... Know what they really want when they say nothing. To know how to make them truly happy. I really want to understand women and how they think. And so after a long sigh, the genie responds, Would you like that bridge with two lanes or four? Well, I will say that when I was starting to put this together, I didn't know she was going to be here tonight in my own defense. And so, of course... That's the old expression that, you know, nobody can understand women. And, of course, that's not funny at all, at all. Jamie, it's not funny, all right? You weren't laughing. I saw he wasn't laughing. He was serious. I appreciate that. I appreciate that. But, you know, I say that, but to be honest, this is the truth in, I think, my life, and maybe you would be able to say this as well. You know who the most confusing person in the whole world truly is? Myself. Myself. Anybody else feel that way? That it's not the opposite. Some of you, some of you that are shaking your head, no, you need to come to the altar now, all right, before it's too late. But, uh, you know, I have found many times that the most confusing person to understand is myself. You know, in many ways, we think we know ourselves and then we do things and realize we don't know ourselves nearly as well as we think we do. And so we can laugh about uh, the, not understanding the opposite sex or maybe not being able to understand uh, the kids these days or whatever it may be. But I would say that many of us would, not all of us, but many of us would have to raise our hand and say, you know what, pastor, there are times I wish that I got me. I wish that I understood uh, who I am and what uh, I should do. So, well, how do we make sense of this type of mess in our own life? 
How do we truly understand ourselves in a way where we can serve God in a method that's pleasing to Him? And I would say to you tonight that it starts with the four most uncomfortable words that are found in the Bible. And that's what I want to talk to you about here tonight, these four most uncomfortable words that you find in the Bible. You may remain seated. We're going to read one verse, and then we're going to make reference to a lot of other verses in this chapter. By the way, it's a wonderful chapter from the psalmist David. Uh, if you have time to read it in its entirety tomorrow, I would encourage you to do so. But let's read Psalm 139, verse number 23, where it says this, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. You say, Pastor, what are the four most uncomfortable words in the Bible? I would submit to you tonight to this. Search me, O God. Search me, O God. You submit to a search to the police. They might find something. They might not. You submit to a search from mankind. They might find something. They may not. You submit to being searched and known by the God of gods, by the King of kings and the Lord of lords. May I tell you tonight, uh, that is a very different story indeed. And I think those four uncomfortable words might actually be a help to us understanding who we are and to understand why we do what we do. And that's what I want to talk to you here about tonight. I think there are two reasons probably. There are probably two reasons why the word search me, O God, may be the most uncomfortable words in all the scripture. And the first is this. We don't want to be searched because we know what he'll find. I mean, think about that. God sees everything. He knows everything. And maybe we don't want him to search us because we know what he'll find. Maybe he'll find the open sin that we're dealing with. Or perhaps it'll be the hidden sin that no one else knows of that maybe we think we're harboring to ourselves and ourselves only, but that God knows and God's aware of. And so there might be some who are uncomfortable with that thought, search me, O God, because, well, we know what he'll find. And there's some sin that has easily beset us. There's some sin that has gone unconfessed. And so because of that, maybe we don't want to submit to that type of search because we know what he will find. But I also believe there could be another reason why we don't want to have the Lord to search us and it may not necessarily be because of what he will find. And, and, and by the way, um, verse number 24 makes reference to that. It says, and see if there be any wicked way in me. Talking about the sinfulness that could be uh, inside of us, that sin that remains unconfessed. But I think there's another reason why maybe we don't want to have the Lord search us. And it could be this, because we don't know what he'll find. We don't know what he will find. What I mean is this, there are oftentimes sins of ignorance that we commit, that maybe at the moment we did not realize that we've done it. Perhaps you are a new believer, or maybe uh, you are still developing certain understandings in your life and, and you are not in tune with the Holy Spirit at this point yet. And wouldn't it be great that as soon as we got saved, the moment we got saved, we dropped every sinful habit that we had and immediately we started walking with God. But that's not the way it is, is it? And there are times that even after you're saved, maybe you got to this point where you were doing something for a while and someone said, did you know you're not supposed to do that? You said, really? I had no idea. And, and you're honestly being truthful about that. That someone has to open a Bible and show you that what you are doing is sinful. And, and a good sign that you are saved is that when someone opens a Bible and shows you that, that you don't get upset. 
You don't get angry at them. Why would you talk to me about this? Why would you even say this? But that the Holy Spirit inside speaks to you and says, you know what? They're right about that. Not because it's their opinion, because they brought the word of God to you, because the pastors brought the word of God to you, because that Sunday school teacher has mentioned that to you, because a godly believer uh, has brought that to you. Uh, that could be a reason why. Uh, but there's another reason maybe we don't want God to search us because we don't know what he'll find. Uh, it, it could be sometimes we don't even know ourselves what we're thinking or what we're dealing with. You ever felt like that in your life? You know something's wrong, but you don't exactly know what it is. You know something is not the way it should be, but you can't really put a finger on it. You know the attitude's not right, but you don't know why. You know that you've got anxiety about a certain issue, but you actually don't know what the issue is. You know that you have been dealing in a form of depression for a certain period of time, but if you were to identify what the cause of it is, you don't know that you necessarily could do so. And so for some, maybe they don't want to be searched because they know what God will find. But I think there are many times where we don't want God to search us truly, uh, to really open ourselves up to the uh, a search of God, the uh, Holy Spirit's conviction, because we don't know what it is that he'll find if we truly open all of the doors to our heart and let the Holy Spirit take the look that he can and should do. And this is the thought that I want to deal with us tonight. The most confusing person in the world is you. Typically speaking, the most confusing person in the world is you. And if you don't think that I'm on the right track here tonight, remember, and I know I mention this often, but I come back to this often in my own personal life, is that Paul was the one who says, you know, there's things I want to do I don't do. And there's things I don't want to do I do. Now, if the Apostle Paul, who was the most grounded, maybe of all believers, if the Apostle Paul, who was the greatest of all missionaries, if it was the Apostle Paul who was taught by none other than Jesus Christ after his ascension for three years after he was caught up in the third heaven, if it was Paul who says, you know what, I don't get why I do certain things sometimes. If Paul said that about himself, how on earth do I understand why I do certain things and why I think certain things? Maybe you wonder, you know, why do I feel this way? And I, I don't understand why I feel this way whether it's anger or, or anxiety or depression or bitterness, but you can't really put your finger on why it is. Or maybe you deal with the same issues over and over and over again, and every time you think you have victory, uh, you end up seemingly going back to square one. Or, or maybe you think that you have victory in an area only to see the whole victory come crashing down. Or maybe you deal with long-term discouragement or depression. Those are all reasons that you and I could be confused about our own spiritual lives. And that's really what I want to talk to you about here tonight with the time that the Lord allows me. Is, is, and I, I've, I've gotten this place through this text and the Lord helped me with certain things just by reading it and studying out myself. But this idea of depression, this idea of discouragement in the life of a believer. You know, I found it's often a taboo subject. It's often something that believers don't like to talk about. But depression is real. Discouragement is real. Here's some statistics. According to the National Institute uh, for Mental Health, and this is from the government, so you know you can trust it, uh, the National Institute for Mental Health, uh, an estimated 21 million adults in the United States, 21 million adults in the United States had at least one major depressive episode in 2019. This number represented 8.4% of all U.S. adults. And I would submit to you, if that was the case in 2019, before the COVID era began, 
how much has that number grown since? And this is what is considered a depressive episode, a period of at least two weeks when a person experienced a depressed mood or loss of interest of, or pleasure in daily activities and had a majority of specified symptoms, such as problems with sleep, eating, energy, concentration, or self-worth. 8.4% or more of Americans over 18. Further, an estimated 4.1 million adolescents aged 12 to 17 in the United States have had at least one major depressive episode in 2019. This number represented 17% of the population aged 12 to 17. Now, researchers estimate that around one in three women and one in five men in the United States have had an episode of major depression by the time they are 65. Uh, studies in higher, other higher income countries can suggest even higher figures in the Netherlands and Australia, it's estimated that this affects 40% of women and 30% of men. It's a real thing. But I can hear, I can almost see the, the thought bubbles going above some of your heads here tonight. I can almost read them where you're thinking this, Pastor, but that's the world. You know who we're talking to tonight. There's a bunch of believers here. I mean, people who know Jesus Christ is their Savior, people who have been in church for some period of time. Sure, that may be the case in the world, but do you know who you're talking here tonight? And my answer is this. I'm talking to people who still have to deal with the flesh every single day, even if they are saved, and that they have to crucify their flesh every single day, on top of the fact that we live in a sin-cursed world and there are issues and difficulties and all types of things that happen, uh, sometimes even as we talked about on Sunday night, things that are out of our control that come into our life that's not necessarily because of sin or different things like that, but things that have happened to us that we have to think about, that we have to work through, that we have to understand, uh, stresses and difficulties and, and all manner uh, of different types of things. Consider this, there's not a lot of statistics about how depression influences the church. But according to LifeWay, and LifeWay is an uh, arm of the Southern Baptist Church, in 2014, they surveyed 1,000 Protestant pastors about uh, depression. The study found that 74% personally knew one or more people in their congregations who had been diagnosed with clinical depression. Now, again, before I get too far here, we can start going into all kinds of different realms about diagnoses and doctors and this and that. And that's not the direction I want to go here tonight. That's not the direction I want to go here at all. Here's what I want to bring forward to you tonight before we get into what the Bible says about this. It is not unusual in the life of a believer to deal with the issues of discouragement or depression. It's not. Furthermore, there's a difficulty in talking about it as believers because there's a stigma that's attached to it. Why? Uh, because there's perceptions. Well, what have you done to be depressed? What hidden sin do you have to be depressed? Oh, how much of a lack of faith do you have to be depressed? And it's those kind of ideas and those kind of difficulties that can cause a lack of openness even amongst the church of God about these issues. Now, let me say this tonight. Could you have sin in your life? I imagine you could. I imagine quite likely you could have sin in your life. But could you have sin in your life that is unconfessed and it causes discouragement and depression? It could. 
But does the fact alone that you have this type of thought process mean that you have a lack of faith or that you are hiding sin in your life? No, it doesn't. And this is where it gets hard to talk about this issue amongst believers. And this is where it's hard to talk about this issue amongst those who know Jesus Christ, their Savior, because I feel like there are many who suffer from this type of difficulty and this type of thought process, but they don't want to tell anybody about it because it is just like waving up the white flag and saying, I've lost. I'm not good enough. I'm not the believer that I should be. So what ends up happening? It gets bottled up. It doesn't get talked about. And it many times does not end up coming to a resolution because of not being handled in a way that God would want us to handle it. Now, two things mark those who are dealing with discouragement and anxiety and depression. I think you could probably say one of these two things are true. One, they don't know why they feel the way they do. Or two, they know why they feel the way they do, but they can't seem to wander out of the fog of depression and into the light of day. I think one of those two is typically true. Sometimes it's both, but usually it's something like this. One, I don't know why I'm dealing with what I'm dealing with right now. Or two, uh, I, I, I know what it is, but I can't seem to get myself in a place where I can get my thoughts in a right place and go out in the sunshine and feel like it's a beautiful day because even when the sun is out and even when it's November and it's almost 70 degrees outside, it feels cold and dark and gray in my spirit uh, because nothing's right. Now, I don't expect you to say amen tonight. I don't expect you to nod or smile at me tonight, uh, but I know where I'm standing tonight and I know that I'm standing on biblical ground. And we're going to look at that in just a moment. But here's the issue. When it comes to discouragement and depression, the world has some ideas, doesn't it? The world has plenty of ideas of what to do. Uh, they want to have you go to talk to certain people that have no concept of God whatsoever and don't want to talk to you about the Lord. Uh, they want to talk to you about different therapies and methods and things like that. And listen, I am not your doctor and I'm not your therapist. and I'm not trying to pretend to be either of those tonight. What I want to do is I want to take you to the word of God and tell you that when you don't know you, that God knows you. And that when you don't know why certain things are the way they are, there is a way that you can go to God and he can help you through those difficult situations, when you want to throw your hands up and say, I don't know why this is what it is. Why can't I get out from in front of myself? Why can't, I, why can't I just be what I know God wants me to be? Well, it really all comes down to these four uncomfortable words. Search me, O oh God. Search me, O oh God. It's uncomfortable to be searched by God you don't know what the problem is it's like looking into one of those 50 times magnifications mirrors you ever seen those in the hospital or not in the hospital in the hotel i mean maybe you got one in the hospital i don't know what kind of hospital you're going to you go to a hotel and they have kind of a mirror and then you can flip it over and all of a sudden you know you, you can see uh you know each individual pore like it's about this big like oh that's too much i don't need to see that much in my face there's no way i need to see that much we don't want to know the flaws 
We don't want to see every little spot, every little freckle, every little pimple. No, what do we want to do? We want to cover those up. We don't want anyone to see those. But you know, sometimes I feel like we want to do that with the Lord. And when we have these types of difficulties in our lives, it's like we want to wallpaper over our soul and just walk through and just not even really commune with God about it and not even talk with God about it. We'll talk to friends about it. Uh, we'll talk to uh, doctors and therapists and all these other people. But the one person who is missing, the one entity is missing, the one who can truly help us in the times of our great need when we don't know why we are doing what we are doing, the one is the one who we should call upon and say, Lord, search me. That's what I see here. So tonight, we ask ourselves this, will you allow the Lord to search you? There's some good reasons to allow the Lord to search you. And I want to look at these quickly tonight. There's some good reasons. Number one, on the back of your prayer bulletin, write this. Know this. When I don't know my thoughts, God does. When I don't know my own thoughts, God does. This is what really jumped out at me when I was studying this. I've had times where I've looked at Diane, I said, I'm so discouraged, and I don't know why. Have you ever felt like that before? Man, I'm anxious about something. I just want to go out and run, like run away from everything. But I don't know what I'm running away from. I don't know why. And you know what we do? We kind of start going through certain methods, don't we? Oh, man, I like those, those spicy dill pickle potato chips. That'll help because nothing like adding heartburn to those kind of problems, right? My favorite ice cream. Oh, yeah, nothing cookies and creams can't fix. All right, well, all right, well, we hit pay dirt. All right, we've got the second altar call already. Good. Um, could be that. TV show, got to laugh. You know what? Just got to laugh. Watch a sitcom, I'll laugh it away. And you know, you can laugh for 22 minutes. You know what you'll find when it's done? As soon as you click it off, the problems are still there, aren't they? So what do we do? Well, well, I submit to you that we go to the one when he searches us that can help us because when I don't know my thoughts, he does. I want him to search me because I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know what I'm thinking, but he does. Look at verse number one. Lord, oh Lord, thou hast searched me and what? Known me. Do you think if God knows you, he knows you pretty well? How many hairs do you have on your head? Well, there's a few of you I can count, but not many. Uh, And so... Uh, um, I know I'm looking right at you, sir, but uh, I, uh, you know, I can't count the hairs in your head, but you know who can? God can. He knows. I don't know why. Stop. You know someone who does know. Look at verse two. Thou knowest. Okay. Continuing that thought. My what? My down sitting and my uprising. Thou, what's the next word thou there? Understandest my what? Thought afar off. I don't understand, but he does. I don't know, but he does. Thou compassest my path and my lying down and art acquainted with my ways. He compasses. He surrounds us. You are acquainted with my ways. You know what I'm doing. You're acquainted with me. Verse four, for there is not a word in my tongue, but lo, lo, O Lord, thou knowest it altogether. What do I see about this? We see that it says, David says, oh, Lord, thou hast searched me. And from that search, what does he realize? You know me. You understand me. 
You surround me. You know the words that I speak. Uh, thou, verse 5, thou hast beset me behind and before and laid thy hand upon me. You know that phrase, thou hast beset me behind and before? That really goes back, I believe, to Job chapter 1, verse 10, where it talks about Job having a hedge of protection around him. You ever prayed for a hedge of protection before and you kind of maybe didn't know what that was or where that came from in the Bible? Maybe you went to Lowe's and you asked if they had any hedges of protection around uh, in the garden center. No, that's not what it is. Uh, It's what God had placed uh, around Job uh, that the devil had said, you place this hedge of protection around Job, you lower that hedge and I'll tell you this, he'll curse you. And of course, we know that wasn't the case. And I believe it's the same thing here in verse number five. Uh, What an amazing thing that is. Uh, The fact that God knew David better than he knew himself drew him to an amazing conclusion. Verse number six, such knowledge, what knowledge? Everything we just spoke of in the first five verses. Such knowledge is what? Too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain unto it. The fact that God knows and God compasses and God hedges and God understands and all of these things together. He goes, this is the most wonderful thing I've ever heard. He goes, it's so amazing and it's so high that I just, I can't even reach to it. It's such a wonderful thing. Spurgeon put it this way, I cannot grasp it. I can hardly endure to think of it. The theme overwhelms me. I am amazed and astounded at it. Such knowledge not only surpasses my comprehension, but even my imagination. What an amazing thing. That's who, that's who knows you tonight. That's who knows you. Will you submit yourself to him? Will you allow him to search you? But it's not just that when I don't know my own thoughts, God does. Number two, God knows me and he hasn't cast me off. God knows me. He hasn't cast me off. You know, some people are better to know from a distance. You ever felt like that? Maybe you're an acquaintance with somebody. He thought, this is a pretty, pretty good person. But then he became better friends with him, and he thought, you know what? I liked him better when we were acquaintances. Because <laughs> now that I've seen them up close, there's some things here that I just don't like. You know how I felt like that oftentimes as a young preacher? And I, and I know you remind me that I'm still young. Uh, but, I mean, I'm talking in my early 20s, and there are these preachers, these pastors that I would look up to, and I really respected, and, and, I, and I saw them almost as giants, if you will. But then I became a staff member at a church and I saw the background of some of the pastors and I saw them outside of a pulpit or outside of a church. And sometimes it was kind of disappointing. Sometimes the man in the pulpit didn't match the man outside of the pulpit. And the more I knew him, the less I wanted to know him. But You know what I realized from reading our text here tonight is that God knows me better than I could ever know a pastor, than I could ever know any other person. God knows me more intimately than anyone could ever know me because he created me. He fashioned me. It says here, he fashioned me. We'll see that in just a moment. And what, despite the fact that he knows me, he doesn't cast me off. He knows me. And he doesn't cast me off. One commentator says, it's not just that God created everything. He created me. It's not just that God knows everything. He knows me. It's not just that God is everywhere. He is everywhere with me. Look at verse number seven. Whither shall I go from my spirit? Or whither shall I flee from thy presence? If I ascend up into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, 
Behold, thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there shall the hand lead me and thy right hand shall hold me. He knows you. He knows your faults. He knows what you're thinking. He knows the difficulties that you're having. He understands these things more intimately than you even know yourself. And despite that, he knows you. Can I put it this way? Warts and all, he won't cast you off. That don't even make a dead Baptist say amen. I'll tell you that. That he won't cast us off. Listen, we cast each other off for the pettiest of violations. We cast each other off because we've offended each other's sensibilities. And oftentimes it has more to do with our inconsistencies and our insecurities than it does with the other person. But what does God say? I see you. I know you. I love you. You say, well, how do I know he loves me? But God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. If he was to love you that much before you were saved, would that change any after you got saved? He still loves you that much. He won't cast you off. How, how much? How much does he? Uh, well, well let's, let's keep going. Number three, doing a little editing from the pulpit. God knows me, and he still loves me. That really goes into the last one as well. Kind of getting ahead of myself a little bit. Because there's a difference between not being cast off and God loving you. You know, I have books in my library. And maybe you have books or knickknacks or something like this in your house. You have something that you don't want to get rid of, but you don't use. Anyone have any of those in their, in their house? It's stuff that you know... I'm gonna. It's, we've got a lot of personal testimonies about other people from the crowd tonight. That's interesting. But uh, there are books in my library that I don't want to give away or throw away or donate. But I don't read them either. And some of them I've had for years. I'm going to get around to this someday. Or some of them I know I'm not going to get around to it. But I just don't want to do anything with it. And you know, that's not the way God treats us. Yeah, well, he doesn't cast you off. But I mean... <laughs> I mean, what's he going to do with you? Well, not only did he cast, not cast you off, he loves you better than you can even imagine. How much so? Look at uh, verse number 17. How precious also are thy thoughts unto me, O God. How great is the sum of them. If I should count them, they are more in number than the sand. When I awake, I am still with thee. This is wonderful because it's not just that I'm not a cast off and that God tolerates me. It's the truth that he actively loves me and he has loving, tender, precious thoughts of me. His precious thoughts of me are as much as the sand of the sea. How much sand is there in the earth? There was one scientist who tried to estimate uh, how much sand there is in the earth and this science writer, David Blattner, said, if you assume a grain of sand has an average size and you calculate how many grains are in a teaspoon and then multiply by all the beaches and deserts in the world, the earth has roughly, and he says we're speaking very roughly here, 7.5 times 10 to the 18th power grains of sand or 17 quintillion, 500 quadrillion grains. By that number, do you know that it, we don't even know what that means. I thought about just putting it up there tonight. That still wouldn't mean anything to us. That is so beyond anything that these brains can comprehend that it just 
defies logic. It's almost an infinite number. But that's how many loving, caring thoughts God has of you. I mean, if you, you need something to dwell on tonight, dwell on that a little bit. That when you think, well, nobody could love me. In fact, I don't think I even love me. Well, realize, well, God loves you. He loves you more than you could ever even count in a hundred lifetimes. You could never even total it up. I see these things here tonight, but I also see this, number four. God knows me, and he'll strengthen me. Psalm 138 and Psalm 139 are almost twin psalms. They're both written by David, and they both kind of go together. But look at Psalm 138 and verse number three, where it says this, in the day when I cried, now, let's not talk necessarily about crying. We could look at it as tears. But I believe he's talking about crying out. That, that goes to the context of the psalm, crying out to God. In the day when I cried, thou answerest me. And then what did he do? And strengthenest me with strength in my soul. When we're feeble of soul, the Lord will give us the undergirding that we need to ensure that we can go on to serve him. You know, it's one thing to be strengthened in the body. You know, there are devices that we can be given to help us strengthen our body. They, we're talking about putting a boot on one of my legs to help strengthen the leg because of the weakness uh, that was there. Uh, that is a device that can help strengthen my body. But there is no device to be able to strengthen your soul. But there is one that's not physical. There's one that we call out to God. And what does he do? It's almost as if he lends us of his own strength to be able to strengthen our soul. In the day when I cried, thou answerest me and strengthenest me with the strength in my soul. Powerful thing. You know, I, 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 I almost didn't even want to bring this text to you tonight because I feel like what I can talk to you about in the amount of time that we have doesn't even cover the surface, does it? I mean, does it really cover the surface of an issue like this? I mean, we've just, we just scratched what is there. But if nothing else, I want to help you with this thought here tonight. And I want to challenge your thinking about this a little bit tonight. Because I believe this, I, I think we have an epidemic in our churches of people that are chronically discouraged. People that are oft depressed. It can happen to good people. How do you feel about Elijah? Elijah was a very powerful man of God, wasn't he? But we realize that after he descended from Mount Carmel as the victor, right after a monumental victory, he became afraid because Queen Jezebel said, in the next day, you're going to be dead and your head won't even be on your shoulders. And it sent him into 40 days of discouragement and depression into the wilderness. We can talk about the world and we can talk about uh, the world, you know, how the world's answers for these things are often so far removed from what God says. And sometimes, and I was talking about this with someone right before church, sometimes the world does stumble upon good answers to be able to give people. But may I remind you that even when they do, it's not their wisdom, it's always God's wisdom. Oftentimes they don't realize they're getting it from God because man doesn't have his own wisdom and then God has his own wisdom. All wisdom comes from God. 
And so uh, when the world comes up with these little nuggets of wisdom every once in a while, like, you know, a stop clock can be right twice a day or, you know, a blind squirrel can find a nut once in a while. uh, It is possible for that to happen. But may I tell you that even then all wisdom emanates from God and God himself. But here, these truths here, I hope they're meaningful to you. Hope they're helpful to you. But do you know the key that unlocks all of these here is this. Four words. Search me, O God. You remember at the beginning of the text we saw in Psalm 139? O Lord, thou hast searched me. And then he goes through and he says about how wonderful God has been to him. But then we got to our text at the end where he says this, search me, O God, meaning this, Lord, do it again. Do it again. Lord, you searched me. You taught me some things. Now do it again. Lord, you searched me. You taught me. Now do it again. You know what that tells me? If you're dealing with discouragement, depression, anxiety, any of these type of issues tonight, wouldn't it be great to come to the altar and get down on your knees and pray and get up and say, I will never be depressed again. My depression is gone. It is left at the altar. What a wonderful thing that would be until you wake up tomorrow morning and the problems of life are still there. The bank account's still red. The problem at work is still there. Or the issue that you still don't quite understand what it is doesn't seem to have magically evaporated. Well, pastor, what do I do with this? Well, you do what David did. You recognize these things that are unlocked by the phrase, search me, O God. And then when you get to the end of it, what do you do? Lord, again, search me, O God. And then again, Search me, oh God. That we don't go to any other entity when we don't know about ourselves. We go to God first. He's the one we go to first. I'm not saying you should never go to a doctor. That's not what I said tonight. Be careful about what you you think you're hearing me say tonight. I'm not saying you should never talk to someone else about discouragement or depression. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying, first of all, what does David say? Lord, search me because I don't know, but you know. And you haven't cast me off. And you love me. And you'll strengthen me. Deep down in the soul. In a place where no one else has the ability to strengthen me. But you can. You know, I can't really strengthen you in your soul. If I do, you know the only way I can? To this right here. My my pop psychology isn't going to strengthen your soul. My hints and tips about life are not going to strengthen your soul. You know what will? The one that can search us. By the way, the Bible says that when we look at this, it's like looking in the looking glass, isn't it? Because we see things in ourselves that we didn't realize before. How is that? That's through the power of God. And this is what I want you to understand tonight. The four most uncomfortable words in the Bible actually are likely the four most comforting words in the Bible. So I really want to change your thought process about that tonight. Oh, God, search me. I, don't, I couldn't do that, Pastor. What will he see? Well, you are avoiding the comfort that you could have when you don't say, search me, oh God. Here's the practical application of that. 
When you have discouragement, you have depression, you have anxiety, what do many of us do? We listen to any other voice but the Lord. And oftentimes we drown out the voice of the Lord. Maybe we don't read our Bible. What's the first thing that you want to do when you, when you get discouraged? You want to stop reading your Bible. Well, who do you think is telling you that? You think it's God? You know what? You're not worthy to read the word. Get yourself right and then come back and see me. People stop going to church. Maybe they go to every service and they go to two. Maybe they go to one. Maybe they stop going completely. They don't pray. And then because they don't want to get the voice of the Lord, then they start to drown that out because they don't want to think. They don't want to meditate. And we really should be meditating on these things, Lord. And, and not, not sitting in a transcendental pose or, or, or trying to get into Eastern meditation like, like that foolishness and, and, and a lot of demonic activity with a lot of those things. But no, I'm talking about, Lord, I'm meditating on your scriptures. In fact, I'm not emptying myself so that Satan can <laughs> fill the void. I am filling myself with the word of God and allowing the spirit to speak to me. We know what people do instead of that. In the midst of discouragement and depression and anxiety and these type of issues, they're busy for the sake of being busy. I got to do something. I got to do something right now. Some people, it's constant scrolling on your phone or it's falling down the rabbit hole of the internet. Some people play music nonstop just so they don't have to think. Need, need noise in the background. I don't want to think about things. Binge watching TV shows, YouTube videos, constantly losing yourself in books or in fantasy worlds. You say, are, are all those things bad? Not necessarily in of themselves. But if they are a way to be able to avoid having the Lord search you, then you are missing the comfort of these blessed truths that God wants to give you. Can I just, in 30 minutes, make all your discouragement go away? I wish I could. But I'm not that good of a preacher. And I don't know that anyone is. But I do know this. I know who can help you tonight. I know who can encourage you. I know who knows you better than you know yourself, the most confusing person in the world. It's the Lord. Search me, O God. And it unlocks these beautiful truths in your life. And then tomorrow, when it's hard again, search me, O God. And unlock these truths again, over and over. And God will help you. The four most uncomfortable words are really the four most comforting words. Search me, O God. Thank you for listening to this sermon from the pulpit of Liberty Baptist Church. If this message was a blessing to you, or if there's any way we can serve you, please let us know by contacting us at info at mylibertybaptist.org, or you can visit us this Sunday at 800 Washington Street in Easton, Massachusetts. May the Lord bless you as you grow in His Word.